do want to take you this day to Mount Calvary, and I want us to consider today some three men and three crosses. Three men and three crosses. And again, you're all familiar with three crosses and three men. I'm sure just about everybody could talk about them to some degree. But we're going to look at three men on the same day, in the same place, by the same method that suffered crucifixion. And again, there's some lessons we can learn from them. Luke chapter 23, we begin here in verse number 13, and we'll read to verse number 46. Luke chapter 23, verse 13. It says, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accused him. Nor yet Herod, uh, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent him, uh, sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity we, he must release one of them at the feast. They cried out all once, saying, Away this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in a city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again unto them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him, and let him go. They were instant with the loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that was for sedition and murder cast into prison, whom they had desired, but delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold on one Simeon of Cyrene, coming out of, out of the country. Unto him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And they followed him a great company of people, of women, which bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps that never gave suck, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they had done these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also that derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou... Uh, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. 
And one of the malefactors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest in the kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. This morning I want to look at three men, and I want to look at three crosses of Calvary. Let's consider them here this morning. Father, thank you again for your word here today. We thank you again for our church. We thank you again for this passage of scripture we have that we can look at here this morning. And as we do, I pray, Lord, that we consider these three men, these three crosses, and see maybe what they could well represent uh, to us and to the world. Again, I ask that you just bless this time as we meet here again today. Help again the word of God to be a help and a blessing to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three crosses. We see here in the Bible three crosses. It mentions there verse number 33. It says that when they were come to that place, which is called Calvary, they crucified him. The malefactors, one of them on the right hand and the other on the left. And so there are three crosses, Jesus in the middle. Again, we understand there are three crosses. We've heard about three crosses. We've looked at three crosses. We've examined three crosses. Often we wonder why even talk about three crosses. Why not just one cross? But let's just consider some thoughts on these crosses. I want to say them in this view here today. And again, I think it represents this passage well. There's, first of all, what I call in the middle the cross of redemption, which is the cross on which Jesus died. The cross of redemption. There they crucified him, not for what he had done, not for murder, not for treason, not for insurrection, not for anything, but for a purpose of redemption. There's also what I call, secondly, the cross of rejection. The cross of rejection is the cross on which the thief that decided that he wasn't going to be saved by grace decided to die for his sin. He died as a malefactor. We see that also in the cross of rejection, whether it's on the right hand or the left hand, I do not know. There's also what I call the cross of repentant faith. This is, again, another cross and a person on the cross that this also, I believe, represents in this passage. And I want to just consider these three crosses here today, and we'll do so here uh, just considering some thoughts on them. First of all, I want to consider the cross of redemption. The Bible mentions, again, him, that is Jesus being crucified there in the, mi- in the middle. It mentions in verse number 32, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. What is a malefactor? A malefactor is actually a person not only worthy of death, but also one that's to be publicly put to death. These were put to death publicly. 
these two malefactors, one on each side of Jesus, were put to death for their sins. They were put to death because they deserved it. They, they were put to death just like Barabbas. They had done something that the government said was wrong against the law, etc., and so they were put to death. But in the middle, there's this cross of redemption. There's nothing, no reason this cross should even be there to some degree. If you back up there to verse number uh, 13 of the chapter, it says, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said unto him, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things which you accuse him. No, not yet Herod, for I sent him uh, you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. So there's nothing that Jesus has done to be on this cross. And in fact, it goes on there in verse number 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him from necessity once we'll release one of them at the feast day. And again, anyways, they end up releasing a Barabbas, but we find here Jesus innocent, not worthy of death. Verse number 22, he says, and he said unto them the third time, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they with an uh, instant, with loud voices, required that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sense that it should be as they required. And so he was crucified, not because he had done anything wrong, but he was crucified because the people wanted him put to death. Again, when it comes to crucifixion, this was a method of corporal or death punishment done for people who had defied the law, done things worthy of death according to the governments that they were under. In verse number 35 and verse following, we find again Jesus did nothing worthy of death, but yet he was on the cross to suffer shame with people that were criminals, where he was not a criminal at all. Verse 35, it says, And the people stood beholding him, and the rulers uh, with them, saying, Deride him, he saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, and coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. If you're king, save yourself. But they didn't understand that this cross was there for the purpose of redemption. We'll talk about redemption here a little bit here today. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 17. Redemption. Leviticus chapter 17. Redemption could be done by several means there. Uh, again, throughout history and time, even we have redemption in a sense when we have someone who maybe, again, this is kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a, it's not a scriptural necessarily illustration of the matter, but it'd be like you taking something to a pawn shop. And some of you don't even know, really know what a pawn shop is, but if you don't know what a pawn shop is, let's say you, you get behind on your bills and you have some tools or you have some things in your house that have some value to them. And so you bring them to a pawn shop and that pawn shop will give you so much money because of the items that you give them. And some of you might say, well, I have this great whatever it might be, this is going back too far, but this thing popped in mind. I have this record collection. It's like the fanciest in the world. It's worth $10,000. And they know it's worth $10,000. They got the first of this and the first of that and whatever it might be. And so you bring this to the pawn shop and they'll say, you know, you got this $10,000 um, 
you know, stuff, so to speak, I'll give you $1,000 cash so you can get by, pay your bills, do whatever you want to do. And so you, again, you go through and you say, well, I'm going to do this. But then, you know, after a while you say, you know, I want my stuff back. I want my stuff back. Well, what do you got to do? You got to buy it back. You got $1,000, you got to buy it back. But you don't get it back for just what it costs you. You get it with interest. I don't know what the interest rate is, but maybe it's, I know in one state it's 36% per month. That's what the state allows. That's South Dakota. I don't know what it is here, but 36% per month. So they'll give you it back. So you took it out for two months and you took this thousand out. So you took it out for a couple months. So you're going to have to pay interest plus the principal that you, of course, got back. And so you redeem it. You, you buy it back. You get your stuff back because you paid for it. You paid it back. But we're not talking about pawn shops here today. We're talking about redemption, and specifically blood redemption. Leviticus chapter 17, verse number 11. If you're going to be redeemed, if you're going to be bought, you're going to be bought in a scriptural kind of sense. You're going to be bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Leviticus chapter 17, verse number 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it for you upon an altar to make an atonement for yourselves for the blood that maketh an atonement for your souls. It's blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. It is blood that can cover, give, at least in the, in the sense of atonement, a partial covering uh, to one's sin at that time. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 25. A pawn shop, in a sense, is a kind of redemption. You can... Again, maybe sell your stuff there temporarily to a, a pawn shop and then you can purchase it back again with a, an interest or whatever it might be or penalty or whatever it might be depending on how they work things out with you. Leviticus chapter 25, there's also here in the Bible a property a redemption. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse number 47. Leviticus 25 verse number 47. The Bible says, And if a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor. And so here's, you know, somebody rich, somebody life is poor. And sell himself unto the stranger and sojourner by thee, and to the stock of the stranger's family. So he buys it, he puts himself in the place of slavery or servitude. After the, he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren might redeem him. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh, on, nigh kin unto him of his family may redeem him, or it may be so he may redeem himself. And so we find here in the Bible, someone again could be redeemed or bought back from a position of slavery or servitude. And again, this again would be a poor person who says, I want to buy, put myself into a position of, of servant for a person for a time and Maybe he can't get out of that position, but along comes an uncle, it says, or his uncle's son, and he may redeem him. He may buy him back. So redemption, in a basic sense, is to be bought, to be redeemed, and then to be set free, like a slave, set on the market, bought by someone else, and that person decides to set you free. Not to keep you in bondage, but to set you free. That's what Jesus did on Calvary. 
on this cross on Calvary. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's like the brother, the uncle that comes along and sets you free. You can't be set free because you have no way to pay for your sin. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus pays that penalty of sin for you. He purchased redemption by the blood for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18 through verse number 20. The Bible says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth it is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. For the believer, we are bought, both soul and body, or spirit, as it mentions here, which is similar or the same as the soul, I believe, in this passage of Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Bought with the price, the price of death. Jesus, as the innocent, died for the guilty. He took the penalty of sin for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here, verse number 22 and verse number 23 says, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servants. Ye are bought with a price. Be not therefore servants of men. Servants. Yes, servants. Now bought servants, blood-bought servants, servants of Christ. The Bible talks about blood redemption. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to just keep looking at this. 2 Peter chapter 2. Blood redemption. That's what's represented there in that middle cross. Blood redemption. Jesus purchasing salvation, purchasing redemption for us. 2 Peter chapter 2 there, verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. <clears throat> But there are false prophets among the people, even as there are also false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You know, even to those that haven't been redeemed, they have, in a sense, be bought. Ye are bought with the price, it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Even these here in 2 Peter chapter 1 were still bought. It says Jesus' crucifixion bought the way of salvation for every man. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9. But when it comes to redemption, redemption needs to be received. And we'll talk about that here a little bit too here. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9. We see again those that have been redeemed singing of redemption. Revelation chapter 5. At verse number 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nations. Was slain. The slaying of Jesus led to our redemption. Jesus paid the price that God required for sin, and that is death by blood. 
Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Now that might seem strange to you. That might, by, might seem, again, maybe whatever to you, but it's the way that God put things and made things to be. In fact, it says here in Colossians chapter 1, very clearly, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Verse 20, and having made peace, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Reconciliation, redemption, through the cross, the blood of the cross. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, why point these things out? Because some people think maybe that you can be redeemed by money. Why point these out? Because some might think you can be redeemed by works. Some might think you can be redeemed by words. But redemption comes through the blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. It says, But Christ now being come, and high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacles, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of, co of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, uh, sorry, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now that's a good thought, and that's a good, uh, again, passage of scripture to consider. It talks about by his blood, doing what? Obtaining eternal redemption. Everlasting kind of redemption. The blood was a permanent type of redemption. Not just simply a redemption, maybe for a particular penalty. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18 and 19. Again, redemption. Not with silver, not gold. Not maybe with other possessions, not with properties. But here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18 and 19, it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily as was ordained before the world, uh, foundation of the world, but was manifest in this last times for you in blood redemption redemption the requirement of the law was redemption the requirement of the law is the wages of sin is death what can redeem a soul from death the blood of jesus let's turn to romans chapter 3 that's why it's important that the focus of a baptist church a bible believing church be on redemption through the blood not through baptism not through confirmation, not through works, not through anything else, but by the blood. Romans chapter 3 here, verse number 23. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past 
through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Faith in the blood. It's important that we see that redemption was purchased through this middle cross. Jesus purchased eternal redemption for us. And so we see the cross of redemption. I want us to turn back to Luke chapter 23 and also consider the second cross and a second person on the cross. Again, I believe, again, this cross could well represent the cross of rejection. This is the cross of rejection. And this cross of rejection maybe is not of extreme rejection, but just unbelieving rejection. Luke chapter 23, let me help you see this. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 39. It says, And one of the malefactors which hanged railed on Jesus, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Look at verse 23. And he said, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. It's a cross of rejection. Those words, if thou be, are rejection of who Christ is. They may not be the extreme rejection that maybe some would say. They would say maybe he is not even close to being Christ. Maybe he is of the devil, whatever it might be. But this man says, if thou be Christ. The heart here is one of an unbeliever. Is not of faith in Christ. Not of wholehearted faith in Christ. It's if. No, if is a lot of things, but if is not surety. Surety would say, thou art the Christ. That's what Peter says. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Son of God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 23. This thought of others, again, believing on Jesus or not receiving Jesus, is seen even in this passage. Luke chapter 23, picking up verse 35, the people stood uh, beholding, and the rulers also deride him, saying, He saved us, let let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God, if he be Christ. There's a lot of people that think of Christ. He could be Christ, if he be Christ. If he be Christ, he should do certain things. At least that's what they think. Uh, The rulers, they say there, if he be Christ, you know, let him do what he's able to do, if he be Christ. And their idea of Christ is not necessarily the Christ of the Bible. Read on there, verse 36, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. Soldiers say, save thyself. If thou be Christ, if if you're the king, save yourself. And so their thoughts are, he's a possible Christ. He's a possible king. And that's how many people see Jesus. Even some will use that, even if they know better. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, I I believe that Satan knows that Jesus is Christ. But yet, he tempts him concerning what Christ should do. Matthew chapter 4 here, verse number 3, it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. What does that prove? That doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove a thing. Verse 6, it says, 
And he said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. He shall give the, his angels charge concerning thee, and in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8, it says, And again, the devil taketh them into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the, the kingdom of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto them, All these things will I give thee if... Thou wilt fall down to worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I'm not going to bow down to you. I am Christ. You're not to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. Let's turn to John chapter 5. With the Jews, with many throughout history, through many throughout life, I see them in many ways on this cross of rejection. I don't see them, again, as many that would request, you know, just totally reject him in a sense like he is not Christ, but rather he might be Christ. But if he is, this is what Christ should do. John chapter 5, verse number 18, John 5, verse number 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he also, that uh, God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Verse 17, he says, My work were here too, and I work. And so he's equating himself with his Father, and they don't like that. Verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verse 40, let's read that. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. The Jews rejected him. The soldiers rejected him. This malefactor rejected him by the word, yeah. Save thyself and us. These are words of selfishness. These are the words of self-preservation. These are wanting to get away with one's sin and doing so without penalty. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. There has always been those that have rejected the word of God. There are always those who think of Christ in terms of he could be Christ, he might be Christ. It's possible he could be Christ. And that represents, I believe, in part, this cross of rejection. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God. And when uh, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, which, whose name was Saul. Cut to the heart. If thou, if thou believe. John chapter 3. See, if thou believe is really unbelief. I, I understand someone says, well, kind of not so much. Well, if thou believe is unbelief. It's hard to maybe see it that way, but it's unbelief. It's either unbelief or it's 
believe. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent him his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You believe on or you don't. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It will be sad one day to see so many with this kind of faith, if thou be Christ. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, if thou be the Christ. Well, someone says, that's not so bad. I understand maybe in a sense that's no ba- not bad. That kind of faith can become saving kinds of faith if that if becomes different. But notice here in Revelation 21 and verse number 8, it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The fearful, the unbelieving. The second cross represents the unbelieving. They may not openly reject Christ, but they haven't truly accepted Christ. They haven't seen themselves deserving of sin. They haven't seen themselves in need of a Savior. They haven't seen themselves in need of redemption. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. I want to look at Matthew chapter 27 because I believe the third cross and the third thief were also represented at one time, even during this time on the cross, as being in the same boat as that, what I call that first thief. That first thief rejected Christ, as far as we can see. It was a tragedy. He never repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, sought Jesus for forgiveness for his sin, for he deserved the penalty of sin, which is death. But he didn't come to grips with that. He didn't embrace that. But notice here in Matthew chapter 27, And verse number 41 through verse number 44, it seems to me, the scripture seems to indicate that this last thief that we'll talk about here today on what I call the cross of repented faith started out as a rejecter too, and a mocker too, and an if kind of a believer too. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 41. Likewise, also the chief priests mocked him, and with the scribes and the elders. And he said himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his chief. Now it was about the sixth hour. It goes on from there, but there's Matthew's account. And he talks about the thieves casting the same in the same teeth. If thou be the king of Israel. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 23, but we see a great change take place in the mind of this second thief. 
the second malefactor. He truly was guilty, condemned to die because of what he had done. He had even mocked Jesus. It, it seems to indicate here from the book of Matthew, just like the other thief did. He had the same thoughts and mentality, this if kind of a belief, before it changed suddenly, it seems here, in Luke chapter 23, and we'll pick up there in verse number 40. Let me read verse 39. Again, that's the, the, the first thief we talked about. And one of the malefactors which hanged, railed on him and said, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily today, uh, said unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We see a most blessed faith overcome this repentant thief. A blessed kind of a faith that seems to overcome this thief. He was mocking and saying that, hey, maybe he's the king. But now he's saying he has a kingdom. Something's definitely changed. Something happened there on the cross. What happened there on the cross? Well, I believe fear, to some degree, uh, either overtook him or was something that he definitely considered. In verse number 40, he says there, but the other saying, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, we're all going to die, we're all going to perish here on the cross. Don't you fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in repentant faith, there needs to be this fear of God. And we see this in this man's faith. He couldn't save himself. He didn't expect to see himself saved at this point. He knew he was going to die. He was soon going to die. Both were challenged by Jesus. Both had opportunity to change their minds about Jesus. They could accept him as king. They could accept him as Messiah. They could accept him as Christ. Or they continue thinking, if he be Christ, maybe he could do something for us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Some start out unbelieving. In fact, all start out unbelieving. All of us start in a place of if kinds of belief. If Jesus be this, if God be this, or whatever it might be, we seemingly are many times in a place of not believing. In fact, I want us just to look at this just a little bit, where a person's faith may change. Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 26. Matthew 21, verse number 26, speaking of John the Baptist and the response of the gospel that took place under John the Baptist and under Jesus Christ. We see here in Matthew 21, verse number 26, but if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered, Jesus said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said unto his son, Go uh, work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. 
And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and he went not. Whether the twain did the will of the Father. And they say unto him, the first. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye then, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. You know, the Jews had opportunity to believe him. The harlots had opportunity to believe him. The publicans had opportunity to believe him. The thieves had opportunity to believe him. The soldiers had opportunity to believe him. Pilate, all these had opportunity to believe him. But some didn't believe him. You see some that did change their mind, though. And, and you can see people changing their mind. You can see what these, this son here, this, this certain man had two sons. Said the one, go, to, go, go today and work my field. And he said, no, I'm not going. But he repented and went. And people can be in a position where they don't believe, and yet they believe. We see the words of faith change in this man. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 23. The words of his thoughts change. His perspective changed. He becomes a, a thief that looked at his sin in a different way. Don't, don't just like let me get away with my sin. I'm going to die in my sin. But you don't deserve to die. You're innocent. You're not like us. You don't deserve this at all. Look at his thoughts there. In verse number 42, it says, And he said unto Jesus, Remember me, Lord, remember me, when thou comest in thy kingdom. Lord, remember me. Using the word Lord there, as a servant would for their master. Lord, remember me when thou comest in the kingdom. So they change your words, they change their perspective. The one thief saw himself as guilty. He deserved his punishment, but still wanted to be remembered. He believed in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom to come, a messianic kingdom, that he was indeed king of the Jews. Lord, remember me when they cometh into thy kingdom. Not this kingdom, but a different kingdom. These are the words of faith. These are the words of a repentant thief. We see again in his words there, expressions that show his faith. Dost thou not fear God? You see him as a God-fearing thief. He fears God. He's also one that sees his sinfulness before God. You see there in verse number 41, but the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. You see, he deserved the punishment that he was receiving. This punishment was to be received. It wasn't to be something that was taken away from him. But yet, you see also here, he, he, he points out that Jesus is sinless. This man has done nothing amiss. He has done nothing wrong. He is not worthy of death. He is, in fact, Lord. He confesses Jesus as Lord. Lord, remember me. He believes that he can save them. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He believes in the kingship of Jesus Christ when thou comest in thy kingdom. We see here faith. We see again a man who humbly is seeking mercy from Christ. 
Verse 43, and Jesus answered him, saying, Verily I say unto you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. We see here in the Bible, saving faith. He joined Christ's kingdom by faith as he trusted in the Lord Jesus by faith. He saw his kingship, he saw his lordship, and he trusted in Jesus. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. How does faith take place? It takes place when one hears the word of God, believes the word of God, trusts in the word of God, and is simply saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1 through 10. We all by nature are born Christ rejectors. This man was once a cross rejecter, in a sense, on the cross, but became a Christ believer on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Certainly the thief had a past, and he walked in disobedience. That's what put him on the cross. Among whom also we have our conversation in time past, according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love within, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, has raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing the thief could do on the cross but believe on him. See himself as one deserving to die for his sins, but seeing Jesus as a person that he could receive mercy from. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 23. We see again a repentant, believing thief. We see a Christ-rejecting thief. We see a cross of, re, a cross of redemption where we see Jesus purchase opportunity for us to go to heaven. Luke chapter 23, verse number 23, And when they had come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted the raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was written over him in letters in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which hanged rallied on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There's a difference in those crosses. Three crosses, three men. 
cross of redemption, where someone again got saved by grace through faith on the cross. Uh, again, we see the cross of rejection, we see the cross of repentance. Redemption through Christ, rejection for a faith of if only, and a cross of repentance where you see, Lord, in verse number 42, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. Let's close as we consider the word of God here this morning.